Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we will be talking about the late, great Olivia de Havilland, who died very recently at 104 years old. So she lived uh, quite a long life and she's had quite the career, a two-time Academy Award winning actress. And today I am da- I am joined by Dan Dillabo, who uh, is a, or was a, or is a writer on Alien News Desk, and uh, the episode, which episode did we do before? It was... Uh, uh, it was 1974, I think, Best Supporting Actress. Ingrid Bergman. Yes. That's, that's right. So you, so you, you, if anybody listens to this podcast, you know who, you know who Dan is. So today we're going to be talking about the first Academy Award win for Olivia de Havilland for... Um, uh, for oh my gosh, for to each his own. Sorry, I we just I, watched it literally minutes ago. Literally <laughs> minutes ago, and I've already I've already forgotten. No, um, and uh, this is the first podcast episode that I have done that is like um, pre like 1950 because the oldest I think that I did was. Uh, the Killing Eve and Sunset Boulevard year, which is like 1950, 1951. Mm. And then, so this is like the oldest uh, set of movies that I have watched for this podcast. And the subject matter uh, is, it's very clear that this is a lot older. Um, We'll jump into that, but um, normally I don't give like too much of a background about like all the movies, but because I would assume as we talked about as you brought up before we did this podcast that obviously um a lot of maybe people listening to this maybe haven't really they don't know what these movies are yeah these are pretty obscure i had not heard of most of these yeah and i'm kind of excited to like describe them because Mm -hmm. the premises in some of them are just kind of wild to me yeah ranging from i would say quaintly dated to like blatantly (laughs) offensive in some cases oh yes oh absolutely so uh this year uh so the academy awards ceremony was in 1947 and the best picture went to the best years of our lives best director went to William Wyler for The Best Years of Our Lives. Best Actor went to Frederick March for The Best Years of Our Lives. Best Supporting Actor went to Harold Russell for The Best Years of Our Lives. Um, And Best Supporting Actress went to Ann Baxter for The Razor's Edge. It was really kind of just the girls that were kind of uh, the dark horse in this Mm -hmm. Academy Award year. I haven't seen this movie, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, but I've heard it's like still very well regarded to this day. Um, Yeah, this was, I guess, the first Oscars... This is the 19th Academy Awards, I think. It, it was, was the yeah. first one, like right after World War II. So a lot of the movies were either were, were grappling with the aftermath of the war that had just ended in some way. Um, this is like a very famous anti-war movie about uh, soldiers returning from war and trying to reintegrate into their lives. And this guy that you just mentioned, um, Harold Russell, who won Best Supporting Actor, uh, they also gave him a honorary. Academy Award at the same ceremony. Oh, uh, because he had lost his hands in the war, and then Fair. came back. And you know what? Transit <laughs> exactly. He's, he was a war hero. Yeah, and the Oscars wanted to you know celebrate the veterans, uh, and so they gave him this honorary Oscar, which is like the sort of participation Oscar that you give to people when you don't when you don't think they're going to win or you feel bad about not giving them an award or whatever. 
But then he went on to win Best Supporting Actor. So he is, to this day, the only person to win two Oscars for the same performance. Wow. Isn't that weird? That is weird. And um, maybe a little um, redundant. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Maybe a little pointless. But, I mean, you know, thank you for your service. Um, that does kind of get talking about honorary Oscars. So uh, talking about the yearling, mm-hmm. um, there was an honorary Oscar given to the kid. Um, yes. And uh, Claude Jarman Jr. I'm sorry, am I saying that wrong? Uh, and I, I want to, when, when we get into that, I want to talk about the honorary Oscars for the, the juvenile awards, because, mm-hmm. um, I thought that that was a thing that they did all the time, but they had actually had given out like 12 of them. And it okay. was like, oh, it didn't felt, like Shirley Temple get one of these at some point. She, I think she was the first actually. And, um, they gave out honorary Oscars until I think like the early 1960s. And then that kind of stopped but what's cute about these little honorary juvenile Oscars is they're half the size of the regular Oscars that's adorable um so the nominees this year uh are Celia Johnson for uh Brief Encounter uh Rosalind Russell for Sister Kenny Olivia de Havilland for To Each His Own Jane Wyman for The Yearling and Jennifer Jones for Duel in the Sun um I would love if we could just jump right into Duel in the Sun with Jennifer Jones. Let's do it. And just how much... Okay, well, first of all, so just um, to give, I guess, a brief recap about what this movie is about. Um, this is a Western... Um, yeah, it's... Uh, Jennifer Jones is a, as they refer to her, a half-breed. And this was even before Cher made it, like, fun and go to number one. But literally, like, uh, it was an extremely racist movie. Yes, There's yeah, very... so much cultural appropriation. Steeped in a lot of uh, really unpleasant racial racist tropes. Um, her, and her father dies, and then she has to go and stay with another family. Yes, her father is white, her mother is, uh, is native, and yeah, they... Father kills her mother. It's like a horrible. The the first five minutes are very tragic. Yeah, <laughs> and so she is basically uh, sent to live uh, at the estate of this rich family in Texas that are like distant relatives. And it's between. Um, and then she she. It's like Gregory Peck is like the the rebel without a cause. Kinda. Yes, there are two brothers, and yeah, one is like the good, upstanding, proper, guy. fancy, and then yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a not like a love triangle, but she. Also, I love how, like, to make her look, like, native, they just, like, put so much self-tanner on yeah, her. Yeah, just blackface, essentially. Yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. there you go. Problem solved. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so one, so Jesse's the good brother, and, and Gregory Peck is the bad boy. Loot is his name. Yes. And this was the year of Gregory Peck, because he was in The Yearling also, which yes. we'll get to. And he was, like, I think not a super big star at this point he was not a well-known no. name but this was kind of the beginning of the pecassance well this movie duel in the sun with jennifer jones right off the top yeah, yeah, yeah. was in my opinion unwatchable i find it very very frustrating too. it was yeah. so annoying and actually the razzie awards refer to this movie um in one of their top 100 most hilarious movies to watch that are unwatchable mm-hmm and I can completely see it because this movie was like, not like a joke, but like it was funny. Yeah, yeah. So what happens basically is she uh, is, you know, 
torn between these two men and and Gregory Peck is is the bad boy and he based like almost from the get-go just starts full-on sexually assaulting her yeah but she is still you know far from being put off by his behavior she's like you know he'll like you know force himself on her and she's like oh no and then literally the next scene she'll be kind of charmed by him again (laughs) just the disdain that the filmmakers have for their female characters in this movie is is really remarkable. And oh, I, I agree. I found it very interesting because like the two, I think it's only got two Oscar nominations, one for Jennifer Jones for Best Actress and uh, the, the mother figure also for Best Supporting Actress. So I saw that and I was like, oh, cool. Maybe this will be kind of like a, yeah. a you know, radical, like feminist revisionist Western. Uh, but no, <laughs> no, that is not the case. You were this hopeful. Is, you were too optimistic. It's and- very much a... a man's movie uh written by the producer david oselznik mm-hmm. who uh produced gone with the wind prior to this and i think that they thought that this was going to be like the next sort of not chapter but like uh a new sort of genre where it's like if you're a fan of gone with the wind then you'll love duel in the sun yeah yeah and it very much is like you know the production values are incredible like this would have been the the avengers of its day you know like there are scenes <laughs> Like, well, it was in color, so that was yeah, kind of it's interesting. in beautiful Technicolor, which at the time was still like a very you know expensive thing. Um, yeah, there are some there are some sequences certainly when the so she the, the the senator is like this old man that she's staying with, and at one point he finds out that the the railway is coming through town and it's got to come through his land, and he gets furious, and so he kind of tries to rustle up a posse basically <laughs> to go down and and threaten the railroad guys. And it turns into like West Side Story, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's but like it's like board. there's all these crazy like crane shots with like you know hundreds of guys on horseback and you're like oh this is really like genuinely yeah epic filmmaking like i wish the rest of the movie was as good as this this one scene yeah. that incidentally has nothing to do with the main character whatsoever well it's interesting because at the time there was like a morals clause in hollywood and if right. you were a basically a person of color but your like leading actor was um like a white guy mm-hmm you couldn't have that kind of relationship on screen. So I feel like that's probably why they did like the, not like, like brown face basically on Jennifer Jones and that they like slapped a sombrero on her and they're like, there you go. Now you're native. And like, that's kind of how they handled it, which kind of vaguely exotic. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I just got to say to her actual performance, it was overacting at its finest. Yes. It was kind of, um, the only thing that I really liked about the movie because I thought it was just so over the top. At, at one point, I thought she was, and I'm not trying to say this to like like be cute. I mean, I literally thought that she was drunk at one point. Mm-hmm. Remember, it, she, every time that she would demonstrate that she was upset about something, she would physically throw herself on the ground. Yeah, collapsing like, in hysterics. All uh, the time. Very, yeah. I definitely... Acting, I right? <laughs> I don't know if she's the best actress, but she's certainly the most actress in this <laughs> That's right. Yes, absolutely. The louder, the better. And um, the men were essentially... Yeah, you're right. They were basically terrorizing this mm-hmm. woman. And she has no kind of agency or, or in her life. Like, I'm sure that Jennifer Jones is, is a, a great actress and she well, clearly... she won an Oscar for the song, the song of Bernadette a there few you years go. earlier. So. Uh, yeah, and the, this movie and the screenplay is not doing her any justice because she has very little to do other than just, you know, react to these gross men and sort of just, you know, yeah, collapse in, in <laughs> tears and, and sort of... It's it's really yeah I feel like uh, the movie did her a bit of a disservice. I so agree. eventually, so we should talk about like the end. It's, it's basically a series of of you know this guy being 
horrible to her and she's kind of like still got the hots for him weirdly and then she eventually takes off she takes off with like another guy in town and gets engaged and Gregory Peck gets furious and murders him yeah <laughs> no. and now is on the lam for being a murderer and he, derail- he derails a train as well yes that's right yeah. yeah he's a bad dude and um to her uh performance um I feel like she kind of gave like the same energy and emotion to basically every. I'm like what I'm saying is like I don't really think that there was really a lot of range to. Um, again, maybe that could be on the director. Like I'm not really sure. And again, like I'm sure she probably is like a very good actress. I'm not very familiar with her work, but I really just felt like it was a very surly performance that just was over the top mm-hmm. and kind of one note. And um, then when the scene required her to cry, even that just seemed kind of comical. Like, it seemed yeah. silly. Every single scene. And I don't know. like Everything's let's... dialed up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> very, very little subtlety. Um, uh, Do we talk about the, the titular duel in the sun? I think... Yeah, we definitely have to. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. do the honors, please. So at the end, so she, her, uh, Gregory Peck is basically on the lam for murdering her fiance. And she's like, you know, I'm over this guy. I'm, I'm so, I, I hate him. And then some, you know, someone comes to visit her and is like, yeah, yeah, Gregory Peck, loot. Uh, Lute is, you know, fleeing the country to Mexico, but he wants to see you one more time before he goes because he's so in love with you. And she's like, okay, okay. And she picks up a gun. And you're like, yes, finally, after two hours of this woman just being totally uh, inert and being just, you know, having no kind of agency whatsoever, finally she's going to take matters into her own hands and she's going to go and kill this guy. Yeah. And so they, and so they, she goes to this meeting place and starts firing at him. They have a duel. <laughs> They both shoot each other. She's a good shot, by the She's way. She's a very good shot. She, yeah. <laughs> she got him a couple times. It's very satisfying. Finally, this woman is is fighting back. But keeping in mind, this movie is... Remember how the intro, there was there was an overture? Yes. And then there was also like a pre... I can't remember what that word is called, where it's like a... Like a prelude kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the intro alone was like, I think, 10... 12 minutes? Yeah, that's one of those things just to, like, have noise just to let the people in the lobby know, like, all right, movie's starting, come on. Yeah, and then you're watching this movie, so it's about two and a half hours, two hours and 20 minutes kind of situation, and then you're wondering, okay, is she going to end up with the abusive guy or the more, like, fancy guy, Mm -hmm. and then loot kills the fancy guy, and then, okay, now she's going to end up with uh, Gregory Peck, and then... um, fucking bitch shoots him yeah and, and then, then he shoots her and then they crawl toward each other and he's like oh i love you i've always loved ah. you and then they're like kiss me your biceps are huge and then <laughs> that's the end of the fucking movie and so after after all that build up and then finally she's decided to murder him and then the final twist of the knife is oh i was wrong i actually love you <laughs> It was, I was the most infuriating ending. Yes, I was screaming at my computer a little bit. Oh no! And so I, so they die. Yes, and then they both die together. And the and the movie, and it's tough with westerns because like these are, you know, these are movies made mostly in the in the nineteen forties and nineteen fifties, which was you know a very racist and sexist mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. That are set in the eighteen forties and eighteen fifties, which is even even more racist and sexist time. And so sometimes it's like it's hard to know. Like, is this is this movie just showing me? A problematic time or is the movie itself problematic and it can be hard to tell i think it's a little bit of both in this case i think it falls on the side of the movie itself is yeah 
it, again, it's all on a spectrum, but yeah. clearly the movie, based on like this closing narration where it's like, and thus ends the story of two fabled lovers yeah. fated to die. It's like, <laughs> oh, the movie doesn't understand that yeah. this sucks. They thought it was sort of like a Romeo and Juliet situation. Yes, when it was clearly just a horrible, abusive relationship. Okay, fine. Then how about this? Whenever there is this, you know, ingenue who is being wooed by like, in most of these movies, kind of like problematic, toxic, like douchey guys. Mm -hmm. um, In this particular case, that kind of behavior was um, maybe not realistic is the word, but like, you know, violent behavior begets violent behavior. So if they both kind of are violent and then it ends in a violent way, uh, maybe at the time when people watched this movie, they thought that was indifferent, interesting, because normally in these movies, in the end, they literally just throw themselves at each other and like, oh, I love you. Let's right. get married and have children. I love, give me a kiss. Like, <laughs> and that's usually how these movies end, where in this particular case, they were both kind of, I mean, more so him, kind of a bit more fucked up. And then they kind of just kill each other. and like, that's yeah, yeah, So yeah. maybe at the time, maybe that was like, Interesting. That was an interesting take. That was an interesting ending for mm-hmm. something like, like that because they're both clearly a little fucked. Yeah, I yeah I agree. Uh, but yeah, but for a, a contemporary viewer, I would say apart from like some <laughs> some really great cinematography, I feel like this movie has very little to offer someone in the present day. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, Jennifer Jones, uh, I I need to get more familiar with your work, but I gotta say, Duel in the Sun for me was a surly performance and uh i look forward to seeing your other work to compare it to uh but this movie alone oh by the way martin scorsese said that um of all the movies that have influenced him the most Mm -hmm. he said it was this one i did he said because i remember reading somewhere that this was like one of the first movies that he saw in theaters i don't could have been a misquote but that's that's what i read yeah because i've seen like later lists where he's like these are my favorite movies and this does not appear on there so i but i did (laughs) read somewhere that Mm, i wonder why this was the first movie that he saw in theaters and so he has fond memories of it i had a few other uh, tidbits about this movie please uh, yes uh, yeah, David O. Selznick was the producer and and writer, and he um, met Jennifer Jones uh, years earlier on a on a an- another movie that they were working on. Fell in love with her instantly. They were both married at the time, uh, and then they later uh, got divorced from their respective spouses and got married to each other, and were married uh, for the rest of uh, their lives, I think. And he, this was basically his attempt to make her a star. Right. He was very much like this. I'm gonna you know make this a star vehicle for my wife. Um, the other thing I, I thought was interesting, so Walter Houston is in this, uh, the great uh, Walter Houston, father of John Houston, the director. Uh, he was won an Oscar for Treasure of the Sierra Madre. He was like okay. the old prospector guy. Uh, and he plays this character called the Sin Killer, who is a local priest who basically shows up to convince Jennifer Jones to maintain her purity and, and chastity at all costs. Um, oh, yes, 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 yes. But anyway, so Walter Houston, uh, not only is he Canadian, but he's from uh, my neighborhood. Oh, really? Yeah, Cabbage Town, Toronto. Wow. Where we are right now. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And okay. I know this because there's a sign in the park that's like famous people from Cabbage Town, and he's on there. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's a fun hmm. little tidbit. Probably the most interesting thing about that movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> now we can put it to bed. <laughs> now we can put, yeah, we can definitely put that one to bed. Okay, let's talk about the next uh, nominee and the next movie uh, let's talk about Jane Wyman in The Yearling mm-hmm. this was actually a Pulitzer Prize winning novel that this was based on and um, it 
Well, first of all, it opened on, again, the context of the time, but almost like a kind of a gone with the wind opening. Uh, it says, quote, we made, and they're referring to America, we made this land our home and our inheritance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. Almost <laughs> like, so, immediately it hits you with a, a sort of one-two punch of, yeah. of racism. Yeah, because first of all, like, it's very, you know, it's very, this is like Old Yeller before Old Yeller. Absolutely. And even more steeped in sort of like rural, homespun, conservative values and so it's very much like you know yeah celebrating the the homesteader life and yes we tamed we tamed the nation and it's we're just ours. gonna gloss over yeah and say uh, oh how'd you how'd you tame yeah. the nation what did what'd you do yeah oh uh, yeah, forget about it but then and then yeah the opening uh, narration from um uh gregory peck is he's like uh yeah so this is what happened to me after uh, fighting in the war against the yankees and I was like, oh, sorry, what now? What? Yeah, right. Who, yeah. Uh, sorry, which which side were you on? Yeah, we're going right. to gloss over that one, too? Oh, 100%. That's funny. Uh, he, Gregory Peck, what I found kind of interesting about what he was saying about um, the the boy, Claude uh, Jarman Jr. Again, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Let's just call him, I'm not going to call him Claude. I'm just going to call him Cla- Claude. That's his name for the rest That's of his classier. podcast. It's classier. Um, he actually felt that this kid's performance, he said that he thought that the the kid, in quotes, mm-hmm. was crying way too much. He was. Absolutely right. Yeah. And it was, it was like this, where it's like he's like squinting his eyes and squinting his eyebrows. And it's almost like, you know, like the Robert De Niro impression that everyone does, where yeah, they yeah, just yeah. squint squinty. their whole face? It was like that. I mean, I guess so, but... You know, movies now, when it comes to Oscar performances, it just kind of goes like, okay, who can cry for two hours? Yeah, that's what that's what they wanted out of a child actor. Like, who can convincingly cry? And there's a lot of... And he did a good job. Yeah, a lot of moments for this kid to really show off his, his crying skills. So yeah, this is basically a, a family. Uh, Gregory Peck is the father. Jane Weinman is, is the mother. And then there's this little kid. And they live just in the sticks in the bayou. In Florida, yeah, in Florida. In the aftermath of the Civil War, and it's just kind of their little rural farm life. They actually filmed this movie before with, um, uh, oh my God, like his name is on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I think I read about this. They, so they tried Spencer to Spencer Tracy. Yeah, they tried to produce it uh, five years earlier with Spencer Tracy. Yes. And I actually, I wrote down the quote from Wikipedia because I liked it so much. Can I read it? Yes. Oh, wait, but before you do, I yes. need to get the other name of, oh, um, Anne Revere. It was supposed oh. to be Spencer Tracy and Anne Revere. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, continue. Yes. So this was from the first attempt to film uh, The Yearling. Once the actors arrived in location, a combination of the bugs, heat, and lack of enthusiasm for the plot made the actors leave. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. That doesn't. That really. That Imagine really like surprise me. You get. You're making the movie, and then you realize halfway through. Wait, this movie sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just not going to show up to work anymore. Um, this movie is for anybody that hasn't seen The Yearling before. Uh, really more of like a like a father and son kind of story. Yes, Jane Wyman was nominated for Best Actress, but she's very much an afterthought. Um, a hundred percent. Okay, so she is I the actually, main female role, but again, has very little to do. When I was watching the movie, I actually think I timed it. So, uh, one hour and eleven minutes into the movie, and Jane Wyman has barely been in the film, mm-hmm. and the whole story was about like the little the little doe or the little deer or whatever the hell that's called. Yeah, we should we should explain this also. This is a story about a boy and his baby deer. Yeah, and then and he loves this baby deer. It's sort of like a weird like backwards Bambi story where like yeah. he or it's kind of like the fox and the hound like it's kind of like the, a weird it's like basically Gregory Peck gets bitten by a snake in like the bayou and mm-hmm. then they need to get the 
venom out and then he kills a deer to get its liver which i did not know that this was a, a remedy for snake I, bites. I, I, thought you did, I thought you sucked out the poison Isn't and he the does expression? that yeah he sucks out the poison a little bit but also i guess if you yeah if you put a, a heart or a liver on it on the wound it kind of absorbs the venom oh. and so and by the way this is a kids movie we should specify this is <laughs> oh, a yeah that's right yeah old yeller-esque wholesome family movie in which uh the kid is forced to uh, gut a deer that his father has just yeah. killed and pull out its heart and Oh, liver. he knew its anatomy really quickly. Yeah, and it takes like, him liver. five seconds. <laughs> yeah, no. This kid has, like, clearly done this before. Um, and basically he has to... He, he raises the, the baby deer because the, the deer that they killed was, like, the mother... And then they and he, an orphan baby deer, and yeah. then he he raises it, and then the deer becomes like a problem on the farm, and then right. Jane Wyman is basically like, "You get rid of that deer now, you hear, ba?" And there was a lot of like, "Ma and paw and you hear, and I tell you what," and like just a lot of things like that in this movie, and um, it, there was really kind of a lot going on. Um, I actually kind of liked this movie, if I'm being honest. It I is fun in a, I in a Sunday matinee way, yeah. Um, but I just want to say to Jane Wyman's kind of performance, she had in the story lost all of her, a lot of her children to whatever reasons, uh, mm-hmm. and it being the olden times and you just, you had yeah. six babies and four of them died. And yeah. That's just how it was. Because the mama ate them like a hamster yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know. And then this this boy is their only child they have left. Mm-hmm. So she is kind of just really cold and mean to the kid because she's afraid that she's going to lose him. So I guess yeah. she figured that if she's mean to him, then it's like less of a heartbreak if she loses him because it's like, oh, well. And then I guess in the end, whenever he runs away and then comes back, she suddenly decides like, Oh, I love you. I really love you. I do. Mm. And she transfers a lot of this sort of emotional withdrawal onto the deer too. She hates this baby deer that yeah. the son is raising. <laughs> At one point, she slaps the deer in the face. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of I, I should say there's a lot of insane. Uh, Violent animal violence and violence. Yeah, that, I guess at the time was that were just, real? It looked real. I guess at the time there was no um, sort of animal welfare. They said rules. that it was observed by the the humane society. Oh, they were I not think. observing very well. Yeah, because oh, no. yeah, twenty minutes in, there is a scene in which uh, two dogs fight a bear. And it's yeah. like, there's no way this is faked. Like, these are just two feral hunting dogs going at a wild <laughs> grizzly bear. And you're like, I'm pretty sure this is real. Like, I'm pretty yeah, sure these animals are being real. ripped apart. Yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it was fucked. And uh, Jane Wyman, you know, um, like you said before, I really did feel like she was an afterthought in this movie. Mm-hmm. She was kind of just angry at everything and had a problem with everything. And uh, Gregory Peck, the husband, was always just kind of like, like, you listen to your ma now, because that's what ma's telling you to do. That's and a good then, one. <laughs> I, yeah, and then she would just be like, you get rid of that deer now, you hear? And then she would just have some problem with whatever the hell it was. And then in the end, she was like, oh, now I'm not angry anymore. I yeah. thought that her story was kind of just like, because she she almost loses her so we before this she shoots the deer basically yes to talk about the and because the son missed, yeah Greg, yeah Gregory Peck asks his son like you gotta you gotta go kill the deer it's like screwing things up on the farm you got you have to shoot it and so and obviously the son takes the deer into the woods he can't do it he's like you know go on boy get out of here mm-hmm. that um and then the deer comes back and so yeah the mom shoots it misses. <laughs> 
the kid like runs out onto the the porch and the mom's like oh i can't shoot good and then yeah. <laughs> and so now the son has to kill the deer to put it out blow of its, its misery. head off yes yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's horrifying pretty fucked and he's so distraught that he you know runs away from home for days Although I just love the idea of whenever they kept building up the fence to protect the crops because the deer kept eating it. And then there's always this like evil yearling deer like lurking by the fence. Like yeah, yeah, I yeah. love, I just love that Scheming. it's like a visual. Um, Ominous deer shots in this movie are top notch. I would say that Jane Wyman really had a supporting role at best. I've talked about this on this podcast before where there aren't really necessarily um, specific definitions of supporting and an acting, uh, a supporting and a leading role for the Oscars. It really just depends on the Academy and how they choose to mm-hmm. vote for them um, and how you can qualify for that. I, it, the rules aren't very clear on that. Um, but in my opinion, it was more of a... Uh, I thought that this kid, Claude, did more of a lead role. Yep. And I thought that she, Jane Wyman, had more of a supporting role. Uh, this kid did win a, an honorary Oscar. I want to briefly talk about that just because... Uh, they did it so that it was not unfair to the kids because if they're competing against adults and the industry is behind them, I mean, if the industry is behind like the more established actors, they know that it's not they're they're not going to vote for the kids, mm-hmm. especially in the 30s and the 40s. So they would give them honorary Oscars. So Judy Garland has one for The Wizard of Oz. Oh, Claude Kid has one. Shirley Temple has one. They gave out like 12 or 13 of them uh, over the course of a while, and I feel like that's kind of more special. To have that kind yeah, of roster because like a, like a, a select little group of people have them. A nice little, like, keep at it, champ. Yeah, exactly. A little bowling trophy. Try not to get too into uh, drug addiction. Yeah. <laughs> Focus re- on your career. He released it. Uh, they, they actually remade this movie in 1994. It was actually quite well received. And Jane Wyman went on to win an Oscar in 1949 for Johnny Belinda. Hmm. To her performance, though... Um, you, you like she she was trying to play it um maybe like she was angry with this with her situation and she was trying to maybe make it like to demonstrate that it was a little bit more layered it's like i'm angry but then if he gives if my little kid gives me a kiss on the cheek when he's not looking i'll give the camera a little smirk and like a little a little wink to be like oh you know i do love him and mm-hmm. I don't know. Like yeah, her, her arc is basically being stone cold and emotionally withholding for two hours, and then she has she breaks a little at the end, and we see the sort of vulnerable side of her. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, very little screen. She doesn't really have any kind of like meaty scenes to play. It is no. mostly, as you said, a father and son story. I'm gonna no. I fully agree with you. If you have anything else that you would like to add about the movie, just a little bit, a little tidbit about Jane Wyman. Uh, she was married four times. Uh, her third marriage uh, was to a budding uh, actor at the time by the name of Ronald Reagan. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, she was married to him. Uh, later divorced before he uh, ran for office. So that would make. Reagan, the first divorcee to become president. Uh, but she they could had, have been the first lady. <laughs> yeah, she could have. She blew it. Wow. Uh, but yeah, they had three kids together. Uh, and so she, and apparently the reason they divorced was for political reasons, because she, Jane Wyman, was a registered Republican. Uh, Reagan, at the time, was a Democrat. Oh, um, really? Because he's a monster, like Reagan? Yes. One of the, one of the worst yeah. presidents in, in modern history, certainly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, later, once uh, in an interview many years later, uh, she said that that caused their divorce, even though, quote, I don't know a damn about politics. <laughs> and yet she still apparently voted for him uh, both times. 
Both times he ran for president. Oh, God. So there was still a little bit of a spark there. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, uh, uh, let's talk about um, Celia Johnson in Brief Encounter. Mm -hmm. So she never won an Oscar. She did win a BAFTA for a supporting role. Um, I love her look because she kind of has that, like, Helena Bottom Carter thing that, like, Tim Burton would cast those like dark features and she kind of looks like she would come from like a Tim Burton movie. I don't know why, but sure. I kind of got that vibe from her. Um, she, I always love the like, this is a rather scandalous thing. Don't you think darling? Where it's like, <laughs> you know, she, she can't have, uh, obviously, especially during this time, like you can't have like an affair or anything like that, especially yes. if you're the woman in this particular case. Yeah. Personally, I think that that's really what hurt her chances to winning, um, an Oscar like this because if you look at um, Olivia de Havilland's performance where she did something rather scandalous mm-hmm. the difference was that um, Celia Johnson in Brief Encounter like kind of leaned into it and she did kind of go along with it I I don't think it got completely physical but like there were no, forbidden kisses never like, consummated yeah, no exactly but then um, Olivia de Havilland you know it's like she did something that was scandalous but then she kind of went along with society kind of told her to do Mm -hmm. and i feel like at the time like america like their moral standards were like just ridiculous and i feel like that would have affected the votes toward who would have won this academy award because for celia johnson i think this is a very brave performance Mm -hmm. especially for the time and um I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I didn't know this, but uh, the me- the melody for a lot of the uh, music, like the score, is actually the same melody that Celine Dion uses in All By Myself. Oh, yeah. interesting. I was like listening to it, and then I was like... Wasn't it like a, like a Rachmaninoff kind of thing? It's like a famous... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know. I'm not very Jewish, but I just know (laughs) that I listened to the song and then I started singing Celine and I was like, wait, what is this? But um, yeah, this is a great, this is a genuinely great movie. And I watched it, it. I watched it uh, a few months ago, actually. So my memory is is not as sharp as as some of these other ones, but Mm -hmm. it is uh, really great. This is a, it was directed by uh, David Lean early in his career. uh, Before he went on to direct, yeah, Lawrence of Arabia and all these iconic movies. Uh, and yeah, it's literally just about a brief encounter between these two married people mm-hmm. who meet at a train station uh, and sort of embark on this torrid emotional affair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny, I was trying to explain to our, our mutual friend Ryan, because I was you know, ranting about how great this movie was, and he was like, what's it about? And I'm like, it's just you know, two people kind of have an affair, but then they don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's hard to explain what is so great about it, other than just like an uh, incredible script, like two yeah. knockout performances, yeah. tons of chemistry. I like I really really like this movie a lot and if I'm being honest with you I find that when I watch like a lot of older movies I find that the pacing is like way too slow for me because like mm-hmm. I basically have ADD and I have a hard time paying attention to it but honestly I like pretty much paid very close attention to this for at least like 85% of the movie it's like a tight 90 minutes too it's perfect it does not overstay it's welcome uh, and a lot of them I think I started with this one because it was the shortest yes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um, but this is like so for those reasons you mentioned earlier about the sort of social mores of, of the time and, and you know, her, uh, Celia Johnson's choice to, you know, embark on this affair being, you know, very scandalous. And maybe that hurt her at the time with more conservative voters. And I think for the same reason, that's why this movie is still 
beloved today. Yeah. While all these other movies have kind of faded away into the ether, but I think this brief encounter today is still like a stone cold classic. No, I'm I I fully agree with you. This movie actually inspired the apartment. Um, yeah, I can see that. And uh, I actually I've never seen the apartment, even though I love some Charlotte Macron. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I thought a little funny little tidbit about this movie was that. Um, the movie theater that they go to and they keep seeing that movie that like the flames of passion mm-hmm. when it kept coming onto the screen um <laughs> this is maybe more for my listeners uh but th- that title and this movie was so beloved that 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 fake movie the flames of passion actually inspired a gay porn <laughs> really? that was modeled after this movie a brief encounter incredible what yeah. a great legacy i know i tried to find it i couldn't find it but i looked it up uh and um I thought that uh, she did a really good job at sort of demonstrating her moral dilemma. And one thing that I love when an actor can do uh, that you don't always see, like, so Samantha Morton did this in Sweet and Low Down that I love so much, where it's like, you can really emote something without saying anything. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Celia Johnson had a lot of those kind of scenes where she wouldn't necessarily be saying something but you knew just by like the look on her face or how she was kind of carrying herself exactly like what she was feeling yeah a lot goes unsaid in this movie a lot is said with with sort of glances and and things unspoken and pregnant pauses especially in the scenes with her husband um and i will say also the movie is narrated by celia johnson as sort of like an unspoken confession to her husband yeah about the affair so that's a great device to sort of give you a window into her head, even while she's, you know, not saying what she's feeling a lot of the time, you still get a sense of it. 100%. Um, and I think a very interesting choice that this movie makes is that um, her husband is, like, not a bad guy, really. He's just kind of, like, a, a dorky yeah. loser. But it's not like yeah. she's in an abusive relationship and seeking to escape. It's yeah. like, no, her life is pretty good, but yeah. she's just unhappy and unfulfilled. Uh, which I think is, like, a much more interesting choice than to make her, like, a clear... Like oh she's escaping this villainous guy good for her. It's that's like, true. I didn't think about that. I that that's actually I you're right. I actually I, I like that. I didn't even notice that. Um, do you have anything else that you uh, would like to add? Uh, yeah. So this was written by uh, Noel Coward, the great Noel Coward, uh, beloved uh, playwright. And this is probably his most famous movie that he wrote. Um, but he was a closeted gay man for most of his life. Uh, <laughs> and so one one way that you could read this movie, I think, is like as an allegory for being gay at the time and having to sort of be very See, sort of this is why secretive. I love these old movies because it's always it's always rather scandalous it's yeah, always yeah. very dangerous I love I love that because mm-hmm. it I mean obviously it's quite sad at the time but Certainly, literally yeah. you look back on it it just kind of seems a bit silly <laughs> like yeah oh for sure um yeah okay well great so then let us talk about uh oh let's talk about uh Rosalind Russell in Sister Kenny Sister um, Kenny. So there was one thing that I kind of wanted to mention about that, actually. So most of the performances, it was like about, especially for women's roles at the time, it's like we have in this year having a baby, a woman having a baby out of wedlock or a woman having an affair or a strained relationship with her child or dating 
two men and torn between the bad boy or it's always mm. just sort of like these typical Stun. or just female roles where that's always about like that's always being a woman is always at the center of it confined by the sort of the, rest- time. the social restrictions of their time and, and being held back by a woman's role in society exactly where I felt like sister Kenny was kind of like it wasn't really about that it was really mm. just about her fighting to I mean this is based on a loosely based on a true story. Yeah, this is the only one that's a biopic, I think, out of these. Like, this was a real woman yes. who was a nurse who was a, in Australia and was a pioneer in the field of uh, polio. polio research and, and physical therapy. And, and she developed this sort of polio treatment that is still in use today, I imagine. Because we're I watching the movie about her thing. life. I don't so. know. <laughs> but, and, and you're right. Uh, my favorite thing about this movie, though, and I noticed it immediately and I thought, well, what? And then I looked it up online and they say that it's the biggest goof of the entire movie oh. is that the movie is set in Australia and not a single person has an Australian accent. I, th- I did think that was very fun. I yeah. was like, <laughs> what? I was like, oh, maybe because they all immigrated from there or whatever, yeah. like from England or from Scotland or something. The commitment to not having the the accent appropriate to yes. the place where it's set was like very impressive. I thought I thought some they, characters are Scottish. I know it was it was really really weird. Um, so this was the second nomination out of uh, four uh, nominations for Rosalind uh, Rosalind Russell, and um, she actually never won an Academy Award. But she won every single Golden Globe she was ever nominated for. Really? And there was, like, at least five. Oh, wow. Like, she won every single one of them. Um, and honestly, I, in my opinion, uh, whenever she was, like, the uh, the younger nurse sort of living out in the middle of nowhere and helping the kids and stuff like that, um, to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't really... F- find her acting or the, or the story really that interesting it wasn't until she's much older mm-hmm. and she's fighting all of the medical association in around the entire world uh, yeah when, this movie spans like you know 40 years or something like that from her early days yeah. as a nurse all the way up to yeah it ages her and, and yeah eventually she's an old woman sort of and that is when I thought that the acting got really good mm-hmm. and it got really interesting because she kind of has this new kind of attitude where she's like no I know I'm right and she's like defending it and whenever she um, confronts that uh, that doctor that just fights her every step of the way in that like big creepy conservatory that like lecture hall. Yeah, the operating theater. Yeah, Doctor Frankenstein vibes. Mm-hmm. And like um, when she kind of comes in there, and then she has like an argument in front of everybody because he won't like acknowledge her in any other way. She stood her ground. She was very strong, and she like acted that scene like like perfectly. Yeah, second half is a lot of sort of juicy monologues yeah. and scenes of her kind of asserting herself and fighting back against the the male. Doctor dominated medical establishment at the time. The first half is just kind of a lot of interminable scenes of her massaging a child's legs. Yeah, (laughs) I know. You can can (laughs) sniff some of this, guys. Um, uh, But interesting fact, uh, uh, Rosalind Russell's nephew Mm -hmm. was actually a real patient of Sister Kenny. Oh, interesting. And that's a big reason why she took the movie. Sure. And why she took the role. Um, This movie really bombed at the box office. There was sure. a huge loss. So that's kind of, um, that's actually usually very rare that somebody will be nominated for an Academy Award after a movie like basically yeah. bombs. Yeah, I can see that. I can't imagine 
the the selling point for a movie about uh, a polio, a cure for or a treatment for polio. Like, I can't imagine that would be a huge blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds fun. But in a way, it does. The the existence of this movie kind of feels like quietly radical in a way, because it seems like the kind of movie that you, that wouldn't happen until decades later. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like when you see a movie like... Because it's like a strong woman at the center of it? Yeah, a strong woman. Yeah, like a pioneer, in, a female pioneer in, in a male-dominated field, like being recognized in their time with with a biopic it mm-hmm. seems like the kind of thing that you would like decades later it would be like oh we should you know make a movie about this person that was cruelly ignored right in their own time but yeah the fact that i assume she was still alive when this came out which is like pretty interesting yeah i mm, that's a good question uh but this movie for me really got started in kind of the second half of it um, the amount of mansplaining going on in this movie was kind of just off the charts and it was like a huge turnoff for me and I kept zoning out because of it. Uh, and talking about that leg exercise that you were saying, cause remember she did, she did like one little massage and she was like, all right, now we're done for the day. And I was yeah. like, maybe was you, need to, yeah, you need to recheck your credentials. Um, but I did enjoy this movie in the second half. Um, Side note, this kind of has nothing to do with the acting performance. This was just an interesting choice. Do you remember at the end of the movie when all of the kids sing her happy birthday in the mm. fucking most Freddy Krueger-esque creepy way? And it was like... Right, they all kind of... It's all the children that she's treated and, and nursed back to health, I guess. And they all kind of gather together yeah. and sing. And it's pl- meant to be played as heartwarming. But yeah, creepy. they just kind of swarm her en masse. Yeah, it was terrifying. It's it, a little It's what nightmares are made of. Um, do you have anything else about this movie that you would like to add? Uh, yeah, I, I wrote this down from uh, Rosalind Russell's Wikipedia page, which I thought was funny. Uh, she had a wide career span from the 1930s to the 1970s and attributed her long career to the fact that, although usually playing classy and glamorous roles, she never became a sex symbol. Oh. Which, uh, you know, interesting, possibly true. I, I can only hope that it does kind of suck to have your Wikipedia page burn you like that <laughs> a little bit. Like, I hope my legacy is not just <laughs> being dunked on by my own Wikipedia. Like, like her ghost is looking up the Wikipedia page and she's yeah, like, yeah. wow, okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dan Dillabelle, for the record, for posterity, was not hot. Yeah. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, well, if you are good, we can talk about the winner, the late, great Olivia de Havilland. Mm-hmm. So I actually um, have only seen Olivia de Havilland in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and um, Gone with the Wind, but that was mostly my obsession with like Betty Davis and uh, the TV show Feud. Sure. Uh, which I've seen like a million times. And um, Catherine Zeta-Jones plays Olivia de Havilland in Feud. Right. And she was apparently not happy with her portrayal in the oh, show, if I remember she, correctly. Yeah, she filed a lawsuit against the show. I think she lost? Yeah, that makes sense. Because there's sort of like protected speech. Yeah. Like you're allowed to portray someone as long as it's understood that it's like a fictional thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, know, I think it was more just like a publicity and Probably. she was she was what 103 at this time. Well, that's just it. You know, she's she's had a very long career and a very long sort of life. Um, and uh, that's kind of how I knew Olivia de Havilland. This is really the first time that I've ever seen her really in a movie. Yeah, like, I'd only seen Gone with the Wind, uh, and like many many years ago, I don't remember yeah. much about it. Uh, so this is Melanie Melanie Books. I can't remember what who she played in that. What was her that name? That sounds about right. Yeah, something, something like that. Uh, something racist. Uh, but whatever... Uh, okay, so this was... So for the movie To Each His Own, 
So this was Olivia's third nomination, her first win. To Each His Own um, is a movie about a woman who, again, has a rather scandalous mm-hmm. affair with a man who's about to go out uh, off to war. Fighter pilot. Like, the worst pilot in the world. But He literally, like, crashed twice before they even met or something. Yeah. And she's, like, basically uh, has... So in World War One. she's, like, the, the sort of... Uh, you know the the young girl that everybody is in a small town in America, and all the all the fellas in the town have got the hots for this yeah. this classy dame. But she won't she won't give it. She won't allow any of them to marry her. She's not giving it up for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's an independent she woman. And then does. this fighter pilot falls out of the sky, literally. Uh huh. And he's doing his tour to promote the war bonds or whatever, and she falls head over heels for this guy. Yep. Uh, scandalous one night affair. And then they have a baby. And they have a baby. And he, meanwhile, has gone back to the front and died. Yep. And so she uh, kind of has this baby in secret. But it's it would be scandalous at the time for her to, because, you know, this baby was had a bastard. Out, bad, out of wedlock. And yeah. so she has to concoct this elaborate scheme <laughs> rather than just raise the baby as her own. Women's rights, you know, women's rights. It's really wild. It's it. She basically raises him from afar, if you will. Yeah, she orchestrates this thing where the baby will be, like, delivered to a friend. Yeah. And then the friend will, like, give it back to her, except then the friend uh, keeps it because they lost their own baby. And so now her friend is raising her child. <laughs> and and so she goes over to visit sometime and is kind of like a, a parent from afar. Yeah. Um, and she goes full Madonna, by the way. Like, whenever yes. she gets pregnant, she literally just goes back home and she's like, Papa, don't beach, keep my baby. <laughs> like, the movie. Uh, if I'm being honest with you, so again, this is another example of taking forever to get to the point. Um, yes. And, but when it got to the point, then I was really interested in it. Mm-hmm. It took me probably about an hour for me to, like, actually pay attention to the movie. And, um,. Again, that's really just how they told stories back then. I understand that. There was less of a respect for narrative momentum in these days. Right. It was really just, we're going to take our sweet time. Oh, yeah. And they they certainly did. Um, You know, to her performance, I feel like maybe her Oscar moment, in my opinion, was whenever she sees her son at that, like, rodeo yeah situation and then like she hasn't seen him in a while and he's kind of gotten a little bit bigger she now. set up this thing where she can sit next to yeah the the adopted father and who's bringing the son and she can kind of hang out with them but the son doesn't know who she is she's just a stranger to him and she's she's crying yeah and she's and happy like, but why she's, is this lady crying i i feel like if if i had to pick her oscar moment i feel like that would probably be her oscar moment because um I felt that this performance was very theater actressy, mm-hmm. and it was not big. I wouldn't say it was big, but I would kind of just say that um, I'm very—I was very aware that I was watching an actor. I—I yeah. I didn't quite get into the character very much because a lot of the dialogue was um, very unrealistic and uh, mm, like I didn't not like this movie but i would say that uh they did a really good job aging her uh yes this is another one where the the main character ages because it starts off during the 
First World War and then continues on up till the Second World War, where she's now living in London and her son is now a grown man. And I'm just going to spoil it, but at the end, mm-hmm. she there's a impromptu wedding that Olivia de Havilland's friend basically organizes for her son secretly, and it's a surprise. And then, <laughs> and then the wife of Olivia de Havilland's son goes like wow, like the way she looks at you or the way that she cares about you and the way she's so excited, it's almost like she's your mother. And then suddenly the son realizes, oh, it probably is my mother. And then he goes up to her and he's like, mama, is it you, mama? And then she like does, again, that whole like, oh, I do. I really love (laughs) you. I do. And then like, that's kind of the end. Um, That for me ruined the entire movie. Very, very saccharine happy ending. Yeah. It was 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 kind of living in a cool... They started ballroom dancing, for Christ's sake. Yes, yeah, yeah. Could not have wrapped it up in a tighter bow. Yeah. It was probably the most likable of all of the nominees. Very charming, very fun. Yeah, yeah. And I just kind of felt like she was the character talking about sort of the moral fabric of America, who was kind of just going along with what society really thought that she should be doing mm-hmm. and I I feel like she in that kind of case came off a little bit more likable than some of the other nominees compared to um, like Celia Johnson because you know she was like just cheating on her husband and he wasn't an asshole and, and I guess maybe people didn't understand why somebody would want to, to cheat on her husband if that was the case uh, and so I feel like Olivia de Havilland was like rewarded for that mm-hmm. a little bit um, yeah, it is definitely a situation where a lot of these performances very similarly are kind of dealing with, uh, women who are, are sort of confined by their circumstances and that's just truthful to what it would have been like at the yeah. time. But I feel a like a lot the, of it was like that. Yeah, yeah. But the most interesting of these movies are the ones where the, the woman in question is sort of really has a, a sense of agency and in, in, in her life is and is trying to rail against yeah. the the walls that society has put up for her in yeah. some way. And I feel like Olivia de Havilland really, you can see a lot of scenes of her sort of chafing at, at the indignity of having to, you know, give up her baby to avoid the scandal in this small town and that kind of stuff. Yes. I feel like she plays all the sides of that really well. I think so too. I mean, um, it, it wasn't like... Uh, it wasn't like a, a Jennifer Jones kind of situation where uh, it was really kind of surly. Mm-hmm. But I would say that her performance to me was a little over the top sometimes. And I just kind of... Uh, like, I really don't mean this any disrespect. She obviously is a very good actor and she did a good job. I'm yeah, way saying. to disrespect the dead. Kyle. Yeah, no, I know, but I mean, whatever. I, mean, I think she's they're not all even dead. Cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, I, I, I just kind of, I was very aware that I was watching an actor. I didn't quite get into feeling like she was a real person. And again, like, I, I'm sure I'm, I might be alone on that, but that's kind of how I was kind of watching it. And I think the thing that just drives me crazy in these old movies is how like you meet someone for two seconds and then you're like in love with them. Yeah. She falls head over heels with this guy and, and yeah, has an affair and then he leaves within, yeah, literally one night within the course of a few hours. And she never gets together with anybody ever again. No, because she's so enamored by him that she has to, you know, decades be, later, be still. single for the rest of her life rather than besmirch the memory of this one, yeah. you know, magical evening. Yeah. Like she had to drop the mic at like what, 18 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what the quote was, 
because she got a marriage proposal from another person years later and she turned it down because she said when you love someone and they die you don't ever stop loving them again this was a one night stand like bitch yep. you need to chill yeah, yeah, yeah imagine if the gay community was like that like we would shut down in a day. <laughs> like that's just never gonna happen and um just the fact that she fell in love with a pilot that already crashed like he's a liability did he uh, crash he didn't he like didn't he like oh, at the beginning he crashed and then he, he lands and then when he gets in the car and then the car like drives into a tree weirdly yeah. and <laughs> yeah, so now no. his his eye is injured and that's why he has to stay at her, her malt shop um, oh, but you know, I will say though that a, a nice little message that um, came through because again, this is uh, uh, kind of along the same lines of uh, Rosalind Russell where I would say that the acting got a lot better whenever Olivia de Havilland was older mm-hmm. and I because I really did see a difference in the two people and I would say that she does seem a lot more kind of mature and I like when she kind of had... Um, that moment where she kind of is saying that um, just because you gave birth to a baby, it doesn't mean that you're its mother. Yeah, that's another great Oscar moment where she really has this revelation. When she, like, you know, tries to, you know, adopt, re-adopt her son years later, and he is kind of like, you're not my real mom, and then she kind of has that revelation, like, just because I am your birth mother, you know, I wasn't there. I don't don't deserve this. There was a lot of, I mean, um... Again, like, feel free to disagree with this. It's just uh, oftentimes with sort of things like that, I feel like that was more just, it was more, like, well-written than it was, like, well-acted. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's tough to know. Good it's, performance, but I mean, like, it wasn't my favorite. So, it's like, genuinely hard to know with older movies, because so, this was, like, Well, it was know, nominated for Best Writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming out of, like, the... the the era of theatrical of people going to plays and that was how people understood drama for a That's long time true. and yes. so which is obviously you know if you're a theater actor you play to the back of the room and so this you know it seems kind of absurd to us now everybody's just overacting like crazy in these things but that you know would have been totally in vogue at the time true. and people will say the same about you know 50 years from now about movies coming out today like these performances are so, nobody talks like this They're silly so I think it, it comes down to like yes maybe you know, we would talk like this in this situation but regardless like putting that aside does this make you feel something does this move you in some way uh, and I think it did I, I was really impressed by her performance I love that uh, this uh, random fact that I saw was uh, the first picture that she had uh, the first picture back with Warner's after three years because she was suspended for so long because she filed a suit. She, seemed, she did a lot of lawsuits. Um, sure. and I think it was because of her contract. And at the time, that was when that whole they wanted that whole system because the actors were all under contract. They wanted that whole system. To right, where you like were owned by one studio basically, and you could only work for them. That's and Betty Davis was kind of the one of the first actors. I think if not the first that really challenged that and sued Warner, and mm-hmm. Warner actually won because she had a contract. Sure, but um, Olivia De Havilland, uh, yeah, she was suspended for three years, and this was her first one back with Warner. So. Um, and then she won an Oscar. So, you know, that's cool. Also, random fact about the Oscars back in the day. Um, and this I read in, uh, I read in a, I can't remember. It was someone's memoir and it was a quote from Joan Crawford. And basically, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I think it may have been Mommy Dearest. I can't remember. But she basically said that whenever she was working with the Academy, like back in the 30s, uh, she said that if she had ever won an Oscar, she'd never go because it was 
kind of rigged every year because mm-hmm. MGM and Warner's they would just do a back and forth every year of like okay who's going to win this year it was uh, like Warner got it last year so this year it's MGM and she said that she thought that was ridiculous mm-hmm. and so she's like if I ever win I'm not going to go because it's it's stupid and uh, when she did win she like faked pneumonia and they brought the Oscar to her but like uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's that was a quote that she said I don't, I don't know if that's true um, but like it does it's kind of a, a great fuck you from Olivia to Havlin because it's like she won an Oscar after being suspended by them for three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's good, I guess. Good for her. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I, th- I will say my favorite thing about this movie, is, and all these movies from the 40s are just loaded with great classic 40s slang, but this to each his own is just had some real humdingers. Uh, everyone's <laughs> just like calling each other like, hey, you jughead. And yeah, like, right. or somebody says, that's wizard at one point. Uh, and then her son, uh, years later when she meets her son, and <laughs> at three separate occasions, he says, holy canary, holy cannoli, and holy canarsie. <laughs> Which I'm like, that, that's too good to be true. That's, <laughs> no, be yeah, no, I love that kind of, that's funny. <laughs> um, okay, well, if you are good, we can go ahead and reveal who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. Let's do it. So you go ahead first, please. Yeah, I. so I think I, I might have spoiled this earlier by my unbridled enthusiasm for this movie, <laughs> but I think the Oscar this year should have gone to... Celia Johnson for Brief Encounter. I thought this was such a great performance, so much range and depth. Um, yeah, she took what could have been, you know, an unsympathetic character and really just made you feel, made, made the audience care very deeply. Um, and she really played like, like the romantic scenes are great, but also the, the darker moments. Like there's a part at the end where she, you know, contemplates suicide. And it's like very, you know, very powerful and, and moving. And yeah, I think it's a great performance that I think the Academy slept on it maybe it had something to do with the fact that it was you know, a british film you know made outside of the that Hollywood does studio affect system. It often yeah because mm-hmm. i think this is you know this, this movie didn't get a best picture nomination which i think it, it should have so i, I think it just because it was like a lower profile thing with two lesser known stars that it kind of didn't get the profile it deserved at the time but um yeah i think it i think celia johnson was great um, okay, great. Uh, I will go ahead. So um, I think that the Oscar should have gone to Celia Johnson for Brief Encounter. Uh, basically, I just agree with everything that you just said, but I think the what kind of really got it for me was do you remember that woman that at the train station that would never shut the fuck up oh and they're trying to have like their final goodbye and then her friend shows up and doesn't understand what's happening and is like hey mind if i join you and and, and you're just, just like oh my god go away you are yeah, so yeah, annoying yeah. when she wouldn't shut up and celia johnson is just like slow zoom in, in face, on her face and she's just like mm-hmm. and yeah. she just the way that she's answering everything it's like she, you can tell that she is going through something on the inside, but she's still trying to be polite, but she's also annoyed. So there's like a lot going on there. Yeah. And she did that really, really well. And um, I really liked the way that she kind of handled all of those particular scenes. But also too, I really think that for the time, this was a very brave choice for a role. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of actors turned it down. And I really respect her for that. And I really enjoyed this movie. So um, I love you, Olivia de Havilland. Like, we are with you wherever you are. But um, I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to give it to, to, uh, to Celia Johnson as well. Yeah. Sorry, Olivia. R.I.P. 
We could do, and then maybe we'll do another episode where we do the other Oscar that she won. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, okay, great. So do you have anything coming up that you would like to plug for the listeners at all? Uh, no. Follow me on Twitter? I don't follow know. On Twitter? Okay, <laughs> okay, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Dan Dillabow. Okay, at Dan Dillabow. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for being a guest again. I always love having you. And mm, Thanks um, for having me. Uh, what do I have coming up? Um, go see oh, stand up. I have, yeah. Go, go, I, okay, so if you guys, if any anybody in Canada, uh, check out my new taping that just came out on CBC Gem. It's uh, free to stream anywhere in Canada. Uh, I also just had a taping come out on CTV Comedy on John Doerr's The Stand Up Show. And uh, we're slowly getting back into stand up comedy. Uh, and if you are interested in hiring me, just go to kylebrownery.com for more information. And. Uh, Everybody stay safe out there, and uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, bye.